Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're talking about Activision Blizzard, but specifically about Activision Blizzard's union push by Raven Quality Assurance workers. If you haven't been following this story, you can check out our Activision Under Fire playlist. It has a number of videos kind of sprinkled throughout that talk about this pending unionization effort by the Communication Workers of America to distribute union cards and get various aspects of Activision unionized. Now, earlier this year, we did see the Raven Quality Assurance workers push for unionization, ask for voluntary recognition, stating that they had received a supermajority of the signature cards necessary to get a union vote authorized and potentially to have Activision voluntarily recognize it itself. Now, there's a number of videos here, as I said, that go to that point. I might make a new playlist just to pull those out so that this makes a little bit more sense. But suffice it to say, in the last 24 hours, that unionization effort got a big, big, big win. And frankly, it was a win that I didn't necessarily anticipate to the level that was achieved. So let's talk about it. Before we do, I want to give a hat tip to Blue Space Cow on Twitter, at Blue Space Cow, who flagged this for me with a copy of the underlying document. You know I love that. I was looking for it when the news articles were first released yesterday, and almost nobody linked to the National Labor Relations Board document. So very special thanks to Blue Space Cow for getting that to me. You will, of course, see the various docket numbers linked in the description of this video so that you can look at it for yourself. But before we get to that document, we have to talk about some first principles, some of which I've talked about in prior videos. So the basics of this are when you want to form a union, you go here, you distribute cards asking for support for that union, and then you go ask the National Labor Relations Board, if your employer doesn't voluntarily recognize the union, to set up an election. Section 9A of the National Labor Relations Act sets forth what we're talking about here. It says that employee representatives can be designated or selected for the purposes of collective bargaining, that's really what we mean when we talk about unionization, by the majority of the employees in a unit appropriate for such purposes. That's a bargaining unit in the vernacular here. And what is an appropriate bargaining unit? A unit of employees is a group of two or more employees who share a community of interest and may reasonably be grouped together for purposes of collective bargaining. In general, the law wants to make sure that everybody in a unit that is represented by a union and is going to be a group negotiating this employment contract with an employer have basically the same wants and desires because things get very, very confusing and very bad if they don't have that community of interest. The determination of what is an appropriate unit for such purposes is under the act left to the discretion of the NLRB. Section 9B states that the board, the NLRB, shall decide in each representation case whether in order to assure to employees the fullest freedom in exercising the rights guaranteed by this act, the unit appropriate for the purposes of collective bargaining shall be the employer unit, craft unit, plant unit, or subdivision thereof. Is it the whole studio? Is it the whole company? Is it just quality assurance workers? The NLRB has a say in such things. Section 9B1 of that act provides that the board shall not approve as an appropriate unit that includes both professional and non-professional employees unless a majority of the professional employees involved vote to be included in such a mixed unit. And then the appropriateness of the unit is determined on the basis of that community of interest and those who have the same or substantially similar interests concerning wages, hours, working conditions can be grouped together 
in such a unit. Now, we already pointed out in prior videos in this series, that one thing that wasn't being reported on properly was that it can't include independent contractors. The act excludes certain individuals such as agricultural laborers, independent contractors, supervisors, and persons in managerial positions, the man, the, the company itself, the employer, because we want the bargaining unit to actually be representative of the labor in question. So that wasn't reported on so much. And then we get into questions of, okay, so if we're talking about a very small section of a subsidiary of a larger company, is this a sufficient bargaining unit? And questions had been raised, most specifically by a board decision called Boeing that said, accordingly, we clarify our standards and contemplate a three-step process for determining an appropriate bargaining unit under our traditional community of interest test. First, the proposed unit must share an internal community of interest. We talked about that. Second, and this is the big one. This is the one that I discussed at length in prior videos. The interests of those within the proposed unit and the shared and distinct interests of those excluded from that unit must be comparatively analyzed and weighed. So when you're looking at a company like Raven or any other video game studio, you have to look at, okay, is there also a community of interest between the people that are trying to form a union, here the quality assurance workers, and other people at the company, whether it's the artists, whether it's the designers, whether it's the writers, the leads, whoever it might be, is there a community of interest there? And one of the things that Activision tried to do with this is say, effectively, it should be all of Raven because Raven makes a product and that product has everybody working on it in a functionally integrated capacity. And so I looked at that and I said, well, that seems like a pretty good argument for how video games are made. There are analogs in board precedent about how, how other major mechanical items are made. And if the entire group is working on a single product, they're functionally integrated. So you can't separate them out like this. And then the third consideration is the board's decisions on appropriate units in the particular industry. Video games don't have a history of collective bargaining in the United States. So that kind of gets kicked in the bin. The, the National Labor Relations Board doesn't have to consider that. I also pointed out in prior videos, in terms of how Boeing might be applied to video games, a wonderful law review article uh, by Will Selfridge, a more pixelated union, obviously a riff on a more perfect union for the United States. And he talks about Boeing and the hurdles that it represents just a little bit. He says, in Boeing, the board looked at different factors such as wages and terms and conditions of employment, and these factors could balance either for or against the unit. However, one of the more important factors that the board focused on was the degree of functional integration, something that seems to be more of a sniff test than an analytical exercise. In Boeing, the board looked at how the unit in question included employees who shared supervisors with employees outside the unit, as well as having meaningful similarities in the job descriptions. With video game development, as with most tech companies, the employees likely have a high degree of cooperation, even if they do not share similar work tasks. Additionally, depending on how liberally the board observes the process of making video games, it is possible that an uninformed board member, a little editorializing in this article, could argue that every employee in a video game studio is supervised by the game's producers since the buck stops at them. And given recent decisions by the board, it seems clear that the board will likely lean to or even err on the side of the employer in its decision-making, or at least until a Democrat-appointed board could shift precedent back in favor of employees. There's a lot of references here to the Trump administration and the way that the National Labor Relations Board operated within that administration. Well, we're not in that administration now, and the National Labor Relations Board made a decision that at least ostensibly incorporates the Boeing components, and we're going to look at them, but basically comes down against Activision 
in every significant regard, some of which, I have to be honest, I think are a little bit unfair. It doesn't necessarily change the decision uh, that this particular regional director of the National Labor Relations Board made, uh, but there are some that go a little far afield to suggest that Activision really pissed them off at the hearing or otherwise, and that Activision uh, was looked down upon to a significant decree as part of this process, which is, of course, within the ambit, the rights of this particular board uh, representative and the board itself, if it comes to it. But with that as our background, we're talking about, is this an appropriate bargaining unit? Just the quality assurance workers at Raven. And here, the National Labor Relations Board, in a big, big win for those union plans, those those union organizers at CWA, that it does, in fact, make up that bargaining unit. So, we get this decision. It's I think it's more than 20 pages long. We're going to try to summarize it as best we can, but there's some interesting stuff to pluck out here about how Raven operates and how this decision came to be. So they say, petitioner seeks to represent a unit of approximately 21 quality assurance functional testers. Okay, so there we have to stop already because if that number jumps out at you as not representing anything that you've ever heard about on this story before, you're exactly right. So this says that the entire unit All the quality assurance that we're talking about is 21 people at Raven. And yet, when this was announced, when this proto-union, this organization effort went out and said, we have all the signatures we need, what they said was that we have 34 testers who put forth signatures on cards and submitted them to the National Labor Relations Board and Activision asking for uh, voluntary recognition uh, before that. So you have 34 testers reported on by the Washington Post and elsewhere reported by this particular group. By the time you get to the decision-making, not only is it not 34 people who have asked for the election, it's 21 people in the entire group. That's a very, very small portion of Raven. And we don't get to see with transparency everything that happened here behind the scenes, but it is suggestive of the fact that a number of people fall out of the group primarily, I would guess, uh, because they're independent contractors and not otherwise subject to the National Labor Relations Act. We don't actually have clarity there. Uh, So if you have other understanding, if you have other reporting, please do leave it in the description to the video or in the comments to the video. But as it stands right now, this number jumped out at me as being even smaller than I thought it would be. And one of the things that happens in uh, you know, Selfridge's article in other reporting that you can see on the National Labor Relations Act is there is a generalized kind of discomfort with micro unions operating within companies because it does create a number of different problems uh, for the employers to potentially have to negotiate with whatever, 98 uh, different unions were it to go down that way. Uh, so that's an interesting aspect of this. But again, this particular decision is going to find that they are well justified to try to form a union of those 21 people within uh, Raven Software. It says the employer raises two main objections to conducting an election in the petition for unit. The employer here is Activision Publishing uh, rather than Raven because they are where the buck stops. The Raven uh, Software Company is called the studio in most places uh, in this document for definitional purposes. That the petition should be dismissed because the employer recently implemented organizational changes impacting the QA testers which we have talked about, right? We did a video called Is Activision Trying to Break the Union uh, Effectively? And that was in response to a series of changes that were made uh, early this year saying, hey, we're making most of our temporary employees into full-time employees. And then we are embedding them into the various production processes that we use to get out Call of Duty Warzone. That they used to be a QA department uh, and now they're going to be effectively quality assurance people within the production department or the art department or wherever else 
they are going to put them audio. Uh, and so that changed things. And a lot of people, I think, rightly called out Activision saying, well, this happens in the shadow of putting this kind of drive together. It looks like you are trying to make changes specifically to thwart the efforts of the union. I can't really deny that. However, they also make a reasoned case that says the embedded model is used across the industry and is better for making video games. Uh, again, it's suspicious timing. I don't blame anybody for calling Raven and Activision out on that. Uh, but this is apparently what they brought before the National Labor Relations Board as one reason that they shouldn't have to have an election vote. The bigger reason, because that was to me always a non-starter. You can't really do that once the election has been called for. You change the organization. I think that's always going to get kicked out by the National Labor Relations Board. But they kick it out as we would expect. The bigger reason, as I talked about in my prior videos, is that Activision wants to say that an appropriate union must include all Raven Studio employees representing approximately 230 employees in over 60 job classifications. And then they put a whole list. Uh, animator, artist, environmental producer, expert motion capture technician, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this list goes on and on and on. And then you get the summary at the top so we know exactly what's happening. I find that the organizational changes implemented by the employer do not preclude an election. And I also find that the petition for unit of QA testers is an appropriate unit under the board standard set forth in Boeing. So we already know going into the document, and frankly, we already knew from the heading because it's a decision and direction of election. Whatever way this decision went, hey, I'm directing an election at the end. We know that Activision lost by the time we're reading this document. But we can go through the why and we can talk about it a little bit because this is a big moment uh, in video games that may or may not get successfully appealed. It's an uphill climb for Activision from here. So we get a little bit of a discussion of how this operates. In November 2020, Raven Studio was designated by Activision as the lead studio for Activision's Call of Duty Warzone, a free-to-play live and multiplayer downloadable game under the Call of Duty franchise. In addition to Warzone, Raven Studio also works on the development of premium titles for Call of Duty. That's the ones that are sold. Given these different ongoing projects, Raven Studio has a Warzone team and a campaign team. Following is a listing of the departments at Raven Studio, along with a short summary. We've got community, audio, design, information technology, art, engineering, animation, and production. Each department is led by a director who reports to the Raven Studio head. And as an overview, the production process begins with a concept phase led by the creative director of the project. During this stage, there are multiple brainstorming sessions to flush out the concept and creative vision for the game or feature. The next stage is pre-production. In the pre-production stage, employees throughout the departments at Raven Studio create a slice of the game, which provides a snapshot of what the overall game experience would feel like. Now, what's interesting about that particular summary is that this National Labor Relations Board regional director decision basically just elides what's happening here and says employees throughout the departments help to make this game come to life, in particular in pre-production. If the studio then gets Activision's approval to move forward with the game, the company, Raven, completes the entire game. After production is complete, the game moves to alpha, then beta. They work with Sony and Microsoft. They test these various things and they get it out the door. So that's the overall description of how a video game is made according to the National Labor Relations Board and Raven, one would presume in the hearings that were put forth before that board. Until December, 2021, approximately 28 to 30 quality assurance testers were employed directly by the employer under temporary employment agreements, referred to as TEAs. The temporary employment agreements were typically limited to one-year periods, though subject to extension. Employees subject to a temporary employment agreement did not enjoy the same level of benefits as regular employees. Only three quality assurance testers were considered regular employees by the employer as they were not subject to temporary employment agreements. 
Those three regular QA testers were considered QA tester leads at the time. So here we have, again, bouncing numbers all over the place, right? 28 to 30 quality assurance testers, 28 to 30 quality assurance testers can't get 34 signatures into the Washington Post and otherwise report those on Twitter. We've got 21 that are eligible in this current unit, which were either stripped of being eligible for the unit outside of the bounds of this or left the company. I mean, Raven and Activision have had turnover given everything that has happened at Activision in the last year. So we just don't have a lot of clarity or resolution there. What we know is that the group is only 21 right now and that they were basically on temporary contracts for the most part as a department until Activision and Raven decided to change that. In December 2021, the employer converted many QA testers at Raven Studio from temporary employee status to regular employees. And the remaining QA testers, representing about 12 individuals, were laid off at that time, reducing the size. So maybe that's our answer for why it's 21 employees, uh, but it doesn't answer the question of exactly where those 34 signatures might have been coming from. The employer informed the Raven QA testers by letter that they were converted to regular employees and that their new job title would be QA Functional Tester 2. The employer also informed the QA testers that they would continue to report to QA manager Robert Clark as they had prior to the conversion process. And at the same time, the converted QA testers received a raise to $18.50. At the time of the conversion to regular employees, all QA testers at Raven Studio belonged to a QA group within the production department. Then on January 24th, 2022, the employer announced that they would be assigning QA testers at Raven Studio to specific departments across the studio. That's what we were just talking about with respect to the embedding. The employer refers to this process as embedding, and the embedded model of QA testing has been in use at other studios. According to the employer, the objective behind the embedded model at Raven Studio is that it allows the QA testers to gain expertise in their assigned departments so that they may anticipate issues that may arise. And that's what we get for the history of this. It's also worth noting, of course, that Activision recently talked about more full-time jobs, and as the Verge reports here that come with a bit of union busting, Raven Software QA workers organized under the Game Workers Alliance will not be able to benefit from the new pay raises across the company, a minimum pay of $20 an hour, 1,000 temporary and contract QA employees becoming full-time employees at the company. And we saw here Activision say, due to our legal obligations under the National Labor Relations Act, we cannot institute new pay initiatives at Raven at this time, because that would be new kinds of compensation change, which is reported as union busting, which I just want to take a brief aside here, and I've mentioned it in other places on the internet, uh, is realistically BS. Uh, The National Labor Relations Act really does prevent you from giving things to people that are in the shadow of voting for a union, and we can understand why, right? We can understand that when we talk about these kinds of things, we don't want employers bribing potential union members before they have a vote. So under interfering with the employee rights of the National Labor Relations Act, the National Labor Relations Board itself says, you can't threaten, sure, that's the stick, but you can't give carrots either. You can't promise employees benefits. You can't imply a promise of benefits. You can't solicit grievances from employees while a union organizing campaign is pending and solve those things. There's a number of interesting decisions that people probably don't intuitively think of that have a very small company with maybe a single owner saying, hey, employees, I hear you're potentially trying to start a union. Well, why don't we just have a meeting and talk about what it is you're looking for? They say, oh, we want more wages. We want more parking spots. Uh, We want better benefits of these kinds. The the owner says, yeah, that makes sense. I can make those things happen. Gives them to the, the, the parties involved. 
And then the National Labor Relations Board comes across screaming at the owner, saying, you're not allowed to do this. This is interfering with the union organization process. So Activision, as evil as you might think of them, as badly as you might think of them, is legitimate when they say they can't give those benefits to Raven. Now, does that mean that they didn't set it up at the time that they set it up to make it clear that they're willing to give this kind of stuff to other people than Raven and that the Raven workers take note of that kind of thing? Honestly, if you want to make that criticism, I'll stand right with you there. But as terms of whether or not they can give it to them in this context, they 100% cannot. So I think it's a little bit unfair to suggest that they can to say that this is specifically union busting because of the statement that they made. But reasonable minds can differ on that score. I just wanted to talk about it a little bit because it did in fact happen and apparently didn't make this particular statement from the National Labor Relations Board itself. Then we get a brief summary of what it is that QA testers actually do. QA testers' primary duty is to test the game in order to identify bugs and perform verification checks to confirm that bugs have been resolved. Prior to the embed process, testers would often test the game later in its development after the quote-unquote package build. Since the embed model took effect, testers are now able to test the game earlier in the process, which seems like a good justification for doing that embedded work. I know a number of you make video games that watch these videos and comment on these things. I know a number of you actually work at Activision Blizzard. Maybe you work at Raven. Leave a comment on whether or not you work in an embedded model, whether your QA embeds in this, whether you think it's a good idea, a bad idea, justified in this context or not. QA testers do not fix bugs they identify in the game. QA testers do not write code, animate, create art, or produce other content for the game in their role as QA testers. With respect to non-QA tester positions, the employer submitted into the record approximately 71 job descriptions covering many of the excluded classifications, the people that aren't proposed to be included in the bargaining unit. All have minimum requirements that exceed to varying degrees those listed for a QA tester. For example, among the excluded classifications, nearly all of the job descriptions require numerous years of experience performing the work in the listed job, and there is no such requirement for QA testers. Several jobs require a bachelor's degree. Still others require that the applicant submit to testing. While QA testers are required to be proficient in Word and Excel, numerous excluded positions require extensive knowledge of industry-specific, presumably computer programs. Now, that's important. As we said, when we're evaluating these factors, you can see this particular decision setting up that quality assurance is very distinct from the rest of the video game making process. That's important for the National Labor Relations Board to come to this decision. Requests for QA testing can be transmitted in Slack channels or via email. Quality assurance testers frequently use a project management application called Jira and a JET tool to convert Jira tickets to an Excel spreadsheet. And when they are hired, QA employees, along with all other Raven Studio employees, receive the same initial onboarding training, which reviews the employer's history, culture, basic personnel functions, probably how the Raven was selected, that kind of thing. QA testers also undergo three days of training within the QA department when hired. While it is unclear who will perform this training now that the QA testers are embedded, historically, it was QA leads or experienced QA employees who conducted the training, with it including things like the bug museum, where there are examples of different types of bugs. With the embed model, the employer expects the embedded testers to receive training on programs used by other classifications within their department, such as programs used to animate the game or motion capture programs. The exact nature and length of any such anticipated training remains unclear at this stage. And you get a lot of references like this in the decision. I don't know that they're wrong. In fact, I think that they're not. That 
pretty much implied that they came in hot on this, that it's in the shadow of, of this particular uh, petition to the National Labor Relations Board in an effort to make things potentially more difficult for the employees. There's a lot of talk here about how things aren't done, things aren't settled. We can't guess as to what this will look like uh, in the future. And I think that's all fair uh, because Activision and Raven really hadn't decided to do this before they were under pressure from the union drive. QA testers do not fill in or substitute for non-QA employees at Raven Studios, so testers don't become animators all of a sudden. Similarly, non-QA employees do not substitute or fill in for QA testers. Now, that's that's a little bit more problematic type of sentence from my perspective. And again, if you're actually in the business of making games, please leave a comment. If you know better, I love that extra context in these videos. But it strikes me that while you are making a game, while you're creating content, whatever role that you have, you're probably self-testing to the best of your ability before you submit it to your boss or it goes around to other production pieces of the puzzle. However that might look, I do think that you are substituting a certain amount of quality assurance just by assuring quality uh, in your role. That becomes an open question as we get into what it is QA does. Uh, And while QA, entirely necessary, does it much more robustly than you might while otherwise creating content uh, as a developer or artist in a game, I'm not quite as certain that they don't fill in for QA testers in in a certain way uh, that maybe isn't as obvious or acknowledged by the National Labor Relations Board here. And again, that wouldn't change this decision. It's just very clear that this particular decider, this regional director, is unwilling to give Activision any win anywhere uh, in this document. And maybe you think that's entirely appropriate based on the last year. I cannot say. Uh, Continuing on, they talk a little bit more about QA. Degree of functional integration is really where you heard me say I thought that there would be a significant problem for this particular union drive. QA testers are primarily responsible for testing and validating bugs in the game. This has not changed even through the embed process. JIRA tickets are created by QA testers, left to be resolved by employees in other classifications. QA testers refer to those employees outside of their classifications as devs, for developers, and the term developer is used by QA testers refers to any position that is responsible for creating content in the game, such as an artist, animator, or programmer. QA testers exclusively test the work of developers. So here we have this framework that there's developers and there's testers uh, at Raven, and never the twain shall meet in terms of the quote-unquote functional integration. Again, this is important especially if you don't want to give an inch to Activision in your decision. Employees in other classifications may periodically test their own work, as we just mentioned, as part of the development process. However, there is no evidence which suggests that this type of periodic testing inherent to creation process is equivalent to the testing performed by QA testers. That is a very interesting sentiment. And again, I would love to hear from more of you that do this day by day. Employees in excluded classifications have very specialized functions in the development of the game that are distinct from a QA tester and from other employees. Concept artists translate ideas and concepts for the game into detailed visuals. Riggers must create controllers on models so that the model may be animated. Narrative designers craft the story for the game by writing, reviewing, editing, and implementing dialogue. Lighting artists dedicate to all aspects related to the lighting. Artists create visual content in the game. Now, the interesting thing about this decision, which could serve as precedent in the future for other video game unionization efforts, is this kind of decision strongly suggests by its reading that any group that focuses on any specific area of game development could potentially unionize based solely on that group, right? Concept artist unions, rigor unions, narrative unions, lighting unions, artist unions, you start to get closer and closer and closer to potentially a Hollywood guild 
type model. And that might be advantageous. It might be horrible. I can't speak to the process there. Again, I'd be interested in your comments on this, but this kind of decision has to be of interest, if not concern, to the people that are operating the employers in the video game industry in the United States as it stands today, not just Activision. This is a big, big deal. Prior to the embedding of QA testers within departments, all QA testers were direct reports to QA manager Robert Clark. Under the embedded model, QA testers now have a dual reporting system. Embedded QA testers will report to a supervisor or lead within their department and continue to report to QA manager Clark. Terms and conditions of employment, all Raven Studio employees have the same benefit package from medical care, dental insurance, disability insurance, and 401k plan, among other benefits, and all Raven Studio employees are subject to the same employer handbook. Pay, QA testers are paid hourly and on these bands, which admittedly uh, are are quite uh, low uh, for various professional enterprises, uh, and this is pointed out by the NLRB. Evidence reflects that QA functional testers received a pay increase to 1850, which we saw Activision is going to raise to 20. When they were converted from temporary employees to regular employees, this would put the vast majority of QA testers at $38,430 annually, which is well below any other position's listed minimum salary range. Many of the compensation bands are significantly higher than the rate listed for QA testers. For example, approximately 48 of the excluded positions have a minimum compensation equal to or higher than $69,000, which is $37,000 and change more than the minimum listed for QA functional testers 2 and $25,600 more than the minimum listed for a QA functional tester 4, the highest level of quality assurance functional tester. So here the National Labor Relations Board is establishing again that the pay concept is very, very different. It's hourly. It's not salaried. It's much lower than the other employees that are working at Raven. All of these legitimate ways to distinguish quality assurance from other functions at the company. Many of the job classifications that the employer contends should be included in the unit are not paid hourly, but rather paid on a salaried basis. Raven Studio employees' core hours are 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. The hours may fluctuate depending on the work, and it is unclear how often that occurs. So if you were hoping for some kind of referendum on crunch here from the National Labor Relations Board, you're not getting that. We, we don't know. 9 to 5 is what they say. Do they crunch? Who knows? We're not getting into that. Then we get the analysis. So what you've seen so far, 14 pages of documentation, how Raven operates, what QA does is setting up for QA is significantly different from the other people at the studio because that's the biggest deal. When we talk about Boeing, it's very easy to establish that QA, people that work in QA, people that perform a QA function, they have a community of interest. That's that's very easy. The harder part looking at this petition was always, but don't they share interest with the other people that operate in their handbook, that operate in their offices, that they interact with every day? that this is a functionally integrated product. And we will see in this analysis that the National Labor Relations Regional Director does not agree. In its brief, the employer argues that the petition must be dismissed under what is referred to as a workforce influx doctrine. Alternatively, the employer argues that I must give deference to its anticipated structure once the transition to an embedded model of QA is complete. Just from the nature of that language, you know that this is not going to work. I must give deference. Yeah, the the decider in any document like this is never, never going to go with that. Board law is clear that dismissal of the petition is not appropriate in the circumstances presented by this case. She says that effectively Activision only presented instances where the company was about to go under. All cases cited by the employer relate to the cessation of an employer's operation 
or the elimination of the petition for job in its entirety. We don't need quality assurance testers anymore, maybe Activision might say, and be able to fall under this exception. I'm not sure how their product would do. I suspect many of you think that they've already said that with respect to the products that they put out. But outside of we're shutting down Raven, we're shutting down Activision, we're shutting down quality assurance in all regards, uh, these cases don't apply, says this regional director. While there was conjecture about the future role of embedded QA testers, that was not corroborated by what embedded QA testers have been told about their new roles, their experiences as of the time of the hearing, or the employer's job description for embedded testers. I cannot speculate on the future of embedded QA testers in a process that by all accounts is still being worked out. Instead, I will base my decision on the evidence of uh, embedded QA testers' reality. So you see here, again, a lot of pushback. Activision, at bare minimum, was doing this on the fly as this happened and then asking the decider in this particular case to say, hey, look, once this thing is fully embedded, this doesn't make any sense as a union. Uh, And here the regional director says, I can't deign to guess what this looks like when it's quote unquote fully embedded. There was no evidence that QA testers are being eliminated or that their role would fundamentally change with the embedded process. Even as newly embedded QA testers, I find there is sufficient evidence about their current roles, which allows me to decide the appropriateness of the unit without having to rely on speculation about potential changes that may occur in the future. The weight of the evidence simply does not support that any potential changes would fundamentally alter the QA tester position. And I think that probably goes too far. Now, I don't think that Activision should be given the benefit of the doubt for things that haven't happened yet. I think that's entirely right. And I think the National Labor Relations Board decision here, almost entirely appropriate. However, I don't know that if we can think of how this might look fully embedded, you still come up with the same decision if Activision had done this five years ago and that was how they were operating right now, that there are distinctions between who you're reporting to, how you operate, if you're not in a QA department like the one that has been described before all of this happened. Then we get to the big stuff. Is this the appropriate unit? I've harped on it for multiple videos in this playlist. I said I had my doubts uh, because of law review articles like the ones I've seen, because of prior uh, board precedent, because of decisions like Boeing. The act does not require that a unit for bargaining be the only appropriate unit or even the most appropriate unit. The board's inquiry necessarily begins with the petition for unit. You asked for quality assurance workers, is that a good enough one? If that unit is appropriate, then the inquiry into the appropriate unit ends. If the petition for unit is not appropriate, the board may examine alternative units suggested by the parties or may select a unit different from the proposed alternative units entirely. If we decide that quality assurance workers isn't good enough, well, I can decide on whatever I want in terms of what the appropriate bargaining unit is, regardless of what Activision wants or what CWA wants or anybody else. Typically, To determine whether a unit is appropriate, the board looks at whether the petition for employees have shared interests, as we've discussed. Additionally, the board analyzes whether employees in the proposed unit share a community of interest sufficiently distinct from the interests of employees excluded from the unit to warrant a separate bargaining unit. In making these determinations, the board considers whether the employees are organized into a separate department, have distinct skills and training, have distinct job functions and perform distinct work, are functionally integrated with other employees, have frequent contact with other employees, interchange with other employees, have distinct terms and conditions of employment, and are separately supervised. So we're going to look at this big long list of things and say, are they different enough from the rest of the company? Where, as here, a party, Activision, asserts that the smallest appropriate unit must include employees excluded from the petition for unit, it is necessary to apply the three-step analysis set forth in Boeing. 
One, whether the petition for employees share that internal community of interest. Two, whether the petition for employees are sufficiently distinct from the excluded employees. And three, consideration of any industry-specific guidelines. And we do this all as a big, long test. Undertaking the three-step analysis and applying the traditional community of interest test, I find that the petition for unit of QA testers is appropriate. Let's go through that list. Are there shared interests within the petition for unit? This is the easiest win for CWA and the QA testers. Of course, there are shared interests among a job title for a specific function at a company. All QA testers have the same basic skill set. QA testers generally earn less than all of their classifications at Raven Studio. And while the exact number is unknown, it appears many are paid the same hourly rate. I find QA testers share an internal community of interest and that the first prong in the Boeing analysis has been sufficiently met. You can see three paragraphs, not very long for this decision. Absolutely easy win for CWA. Then we get to the shared interests between QA testers and disputed classifications. First, departmental organization. An important consideration in any unit determination is whether the proposed unit conforms to an administrative function or grouping of an employer's operation. Thus, for example, generally, the board would not approve a unit consisting of some but not all of an employer's production and maintenance employees. Is QA production? Is QA developers? Are they fundamentally integrated in the process of making a video game? The one thing that does happen in this decision is that effectively the National Labor Relations Board, in order to allow this election, is forced to say no. They are separate from developers of a video game performing a different function. After implementation of the embed model, QA testers are now spread out over several departments within Raven Studio. However, the expectation is that embedded testers will not be exclusive to their department. Rather, embedded testers may work with other departments as required. For example, the QA tester currently embedded within the animation department is still expected to work with the art department, the production department, and the audio department. As a result, I find this factor is neutral as to the question of whether the petition for QA testers share a community of interest with excluded employees. Now, that's important because this seems like something that could be found for Activision. Even with a separate QA department, the organization has these people working with employees across the company. I don't know whether the various aspects of their divisions can ask specifically QA questions of the QA department, but it would seem like creating a video game is a little bit less of a separate task than what the National Labor Relations Board is saying here. It's why there were concerns in that law review article that I read to you earlier, and you can read its entirety. There's other concerns uh, that are listed there as well, is that this is a kind of holistic production approach. And by finding this neutral, if we didn't know how this decision was going to go, you, you know that this leans towards Activision in my eyes. And if you say it's only neutral, it basically means you're not going to give any of these to Activision. Distinct skills and training. This factor examines whether the excluded employees can be distinguished from petitioned for employees based on duties or skills. Many of the excluded classifications require that the applicant provide a portfolio of their creative work, pass a test, or have experience with programming or scripting languages. There are no comparable requirements for QA testers. Overall, then, I find that this factor weighs strongly, strongly, in favor of finding that QA testers have a distinct community of interest. Now, that's interesting, right? This is a reading that says, effectively, because there aren't standards, there aren't higher standards for QA testers, that that is a level of distinct skills and or training. It's, it's interesting because effectively this decision comes out and says QA testers are the, the least likely to get rejected for not knowing a piece of software or for not having a high enough degree. And that separates out their interests. And, and that might be right. 
but it also means that the distinction of their skills and training isn't as strong potentially as an argument as someone that has to bring in a portfolio, has to know how to use uh, whatever the big time software program is uh, that Raven or Activision is using to 3D model or script or do other things within their video game environment. But again, we have a neutral decision. We have a strong CWA union decision. Distinct job functions. This factor examines whether the disputed employees can be distinguished from one another based on job functions. I find that QA testers are sufficiently distinct from employees excluded from the proposed unit with respect to their function and that this factor weighs in favor of finding a unit of QA testers to be appropriate. Said another way, look, they test things. These are the only ones that test things at that level. It's a distinct job function. And so again, you have a neutral union union. If you're keeping score at home, union's winning by a lot. And then we get to the big, big, big one. Functional integration. Functional integration refers to when employees' work constitutes integral elements of an employer's production process or business. Is quality assurance testing functional? Is it integral to creating a product that goes out on the market? For example, functional integration exists when employees in a unit sought by a union work on different phases of the same product or as a group provide a service. Evidence that employees work together on the same matters, have frequent contact with one another, and perform similar functions is relevant when examining whether functional integration exists for community of interest purposes. All employees at Raven Studio are working on either Warzone or the latest campaign in the Call of Duty franchise. The employer's workflow requires collaboration between various departments, and each position serves an essential and necessary role in that production process. In that process, QA testers must test the game for bugs and ensure that bugs have been adequately fixed by employees in excluded classifications. Thus, in the broadest sense, the QA testers are functionally integrated into the overall process of producing video games. Now, you might think that it ends there. In fact, this is the primary component of what I said would cause a big problem for them at the National Labor Relations Board level. And yet, it doesn't, despite those two paragraphs, because the next paragraph starts with, however, QA testers continue to serve a separate and distinct function in the development process, which sets them apart from other classifications of employees, including those within their independent embedded department. Even if physically working beside an employee in an excluded classification, the work of a QA tester is distinct. If other employees are needed to test a certain feature, QA testers work with other QA testers to do so. QA testers do not assist excluded employees in taking action to fix the bug until after it has been resolved when a QA tester must test the game to verify that the bug has been fixed. Said another way, They do different things than the artists. They do different things than the animators. However, I have to point out, that's not the functional integration standard. That isn't the functional integration test. That is, in fact, the distinct job functions test. And in terms of a legal document, this is sliding around and messy because it's basically just making the distinct job functions argument in a different section, the the functional integration argument. And honestly, I don't think that works. I really do think that in most board precedent on these matters, a quality insurance tester making a video game would be considered functionally integral to the process of making that video game. So even though they do different things, they're communicating with those employees in a similar effort to get the same product out in a necessary component of making the video game itself. That said, this particular decider doesn't agree. Overall, I find that this factor is inconclusive based on QA testers' distinct role, which again is a different test, in the production process and the lack of evidence establishing significant contact between QA testers and employees in excluded classifications. Help me out here, folks. 
do, do QA testers actually communicate with the rest of the company on whatever it is that they are helping to QA test? I, I think this assumes, and maybe Raven and Activision are organized this way, that the QA testers in the department only go through their supervisors, everything comes to the supervisors, and that there's no communication across disciplines at all, which is likely to be different in the embedded model. Again, I don't blame this particular decider for saying, no, we don't know how that'll look in full. Uh, but I do realistically have a problem with saying that they aren't functionally integrated into the process of making a video game when you have a paragraph that says each serves an essential and necessary role in the production process, right? Like that's the end of the inquiry under this test. You can, in fact, give Activision a win here uh, and not change your decision. This is a balancing test. You can decide that the other things balance against it. Uh, But this inconclusive, I really don't think is correct here or appropriate. And it does raise alarm bells to me in terms of, I don't know when this analysis wouldn't work in any kind of concept for any kind of discipline making a video game. And and that'd be that'd be an interesting world if that's where the National Labor Relations Board came up. Now, it's important to, to, to take a step back here. I've said regional director a number of times. This is just a regional director's decision. We'll see at the end that this can be appealed to the full board. We'll see if the board takes it up. We'll see if Activision decides to pursue it to the board. But this is just one person making this decision and analysis based on a hearing that was had before them. Frequency of contact among employees is another standard here. The record established contact between all employees at Raven Studios to varying degrees. The nature and frequency of this contact varies depending on the project and the stage of development. The embedded QA testers have not yet had a significant amount of contact with those outside their classification, even within their embedded department. QA testers attend department-specific stand-up meetings. While embedded QA testers are expected to sit with the department when returning to work in person, they've been working remotely and continue to interact with other QA testers. Overall, I find that while there is contact between QA testers and other classifications, it has not been established that the frequency of that contact is significant. Therefore, I find this factor is neutral. So again, the things that Activision should probably be winning in my estimation, functional integration, contact among the various employees at the company, they're all going inconclusive or neutral. Uh, And that's suggestive of a, a party that wants to show that this is an appropriate bargaining unit and wants this union to get its vote and election. You also see here a footnote from Activision that suggests that they were very animated about this particular question, the functional integration, contact, etc., where it says the employer's assertion in its brief that the board has repeatedly recognized that quality assurance and or control employees are inherently functionally integrated with production employees, emphasis in original, is inaccurate. A review of the cases cited by the employer disclosed that no such definitive conclusion was ever reached by the board. Now, that's interesting, even in this footnote that this particular decider is changing what that appears to be asserting. The board has repeatedly recognized that they are inherently functional is probably true. That's going to be the most often finding here for quality assurance as part of a production line. And then this person says, well, that was never a definitive conclusion. It's not in every case, which is fair, but doesn't appear to be what Activision was asserting. They instead cite a couple of cases where quality control employees uh, were allowed to be separated from production and maintenance units, and they're from 1994, 1980. While I do not base my decisions on those cases because they're before the current standard, the board's holding demonstrate that there is no rule as it relates to quality control employees. And again, I don't think Activision is asserting a rule there, but this is the biggest surprise in the document to me, as you can likely tell uh, just from listening to me, that they didn't get functional integration as an Activision win as part of this process. It, it seems pretty obvious based on everything that we have seen from the board before. 
Uh, in terms of interchange, uh, while there have been one-way permanent transfers of QA testers to positions outside of QA, there's no evidence of any other classification of employee transferring into the role of QA tester. So I find that the factor weighs strongly in favor of finding that a QA tester share a distinct community of interest. There isn't that swapping in and out of the department, which is a, a fair decision. Absolutely. Terms and conditions of employment include whether employees receive similar wages or paid in a similar fashion, whether employees have the same fringe benefits, whether employees are subject to the same work rules, disciplinary policies, and other terms of employment that might be described in an employee handbook. However, the fact that employees share common wage ranges and benefits are, are subject to common work rules does not warrant a conclusion that a community of interest exists where employees are separately supervised, do not have sufficient interchange, or work in a physically separate environment. QA testers share the same personnel policies and benefit package as the excluded employees. They also share a common core schedule with other employees. However, QA testers' terms and conditions of employment are different from those in the excluded classifications in significant ways. We talked about this, pay bans, hourly, not salaried. Based on this, I find that this factor weighs strongly in favor of finding that QA testers are sufficiently distinct from the excluded employees. And here again, I think it's at least a little bit interesting. Certainly, I think that by being the lowest on the totem pole, by being paid hourly instead of salaried, this is a justifiable decision by the regional director here. But it doesn't seem to give much credence to the argument that they're under the same handbook, they operate in the same place, they run by the same hours, they have the same fringe benefits. Because one of the concerns that you have with this is that the collective bargaining agreement is going to have to talk about things that are in the employee handbook. They're going to have to talk about benefits. They're going to have to talk about things that are going to separate this particular unit from the rest of the company. And, and that's usually taken into account. Here, this, the sole real difference being the way they are paid and the size of their payments is held to be strongly in favor of a fining for the union on this part when I think you can definitely make the case that it should be found for the union. It seems like they are discounting all of the similarities that exist between people that work at a studio. Uh, that functional integration component, again, is kind of coming back uh, to bite Activision because the National Labor Relations Regional Director is just not giving any type of credence to those arguments. Common supervision, another community of interest factor that the board considers when evaluating the appropriateness of a petition for a unit is whether the employees in dispute are commonly supervised. I find that QA testers shared supervision under the QA manager weighs in favor of finding them sufficiently distinct from employees excluded from the proposed unit. In conclusion, I find that the following factors support the conclusion that QA testers share a community of interest sufficiently distinct from the excluded classifications of employees, distinct skills and training, distinct job function, interchange or lack thereof, terms and conditions of employment, and common supervision taken as a whole. I find that these factors establish that QA testers have a meaningfully distinct collective bargaining interest, which outweighs the similarities shared with the excluded employees. And it's a judgment call, uh, but I do think that it probably didn't give credence to the few areas, even allowing for everything that is analyzed here, that Activision probably should get something better than a neutral rating. They then comment that there are no industry-specific guidelines for appropriate units and call for an election, which would be taking place on April 29th uh, at 3.30. Oh, that's when the mailing occurs. Eligible voter does not receive a mail ballot by May 6, 2022, or otherwise has problems. They can contact the regional office. And then voters must return their ballots by May 20th with a live election count on May 23rd, 2022. So barring changes in this schedule, that's the date that you want to highlight. Put in your Outlook notebooks, May 23rd, 2022 is when you might have one of the most significant election union votes uh, in the history of the video game industry. 
Now, it's worth noting that the people that are eligible are only those on the payroll period ending April 16th, 2022, effectively uh, last week. And most importantly for what Activision is going to suggest, that pursuant to section 102.67 of the board's rules and regulations, a request for review may be filed with the board at any time following the issuance of this decision until 10 business days after a final disposition of the proceeding by the regional director. And as I said, we are very likely to see Activision pursue that as they have indicated in their commentary on this particular decision. While we respect the NLRB process, we are disappointed that a decision that could significantly impact the future of our entire studio will be made by fewer than 10% of our employees. In fact, at a 21-person collective bargaining unit, 11 people need to vote to unionize in order for that to actually happen. We believe a direct relationship with with team members is the best path to achieving individual and company goals, and we are reviewing legal options regarding a potential appeal. Now, what does that look like? Well, upon the filing of a request, therefore, with the board by any interested person, the board may review any action of a regional director delegated to him or her under Section 3B of the Act, except as the board rules provide otherwise. The filing of such a request shall not unless otherwise ordered by the board, operate as a stay of the election or any other action taken or directed by the regional director. You can file your appeal, but that does not stop the ballot process and the potential election at the end of May. And you can file it for a number of reasons. Grounds for review, a substantial question of law or policy is raised because of the absence of or a departure from officially reported board precedent that the regional director's decision on a substantial factual issue is clearly erroneous, that the conduct of any hearing or any ruling made in connection with the proceeding has resulted in prejudicial error or umbrella reason that there are compelling reasons for reconsideration of an important board rule or policy. What does Boeing mean? What does it do in the video game industry? Will the board take it up? There are no guarantees. The regional direction, director's actions are final unless a request for review is granted and denial of a request for review by the whole board shall constitute an affirmance of the regional director's action. So one thing that Activision is weighing right now is whether they should move forward with a complaint at all, lock this in, And I think that they will. I think that they are very likely to challenge this particular decision by the National Labor Relations Board. And even then, it doesn't necessarily stop there because the National Labor Relations Board is not the final arbiter of these things. You could take it to federal court to discuss these issues if Activision deigned to do so. So this is a big, big day. This is a big win for union organizers at Activision. And frankly, it's one that I thought that they would have more trouble with, as I indicated in my prior videos. But we simply don't know whether or not this is the end of the story, whether there will be an election with votes counted at the end of May or whether Activision Blizzard, Activision Publishing more specifically, will fight this either at the National Labor Relations Board level or in the federal court system. So as always with Activision Blizzard, stay tuned and please, especially if you have experience in the video game industry, especially if you have a video game experience as a quality assurance tester, leave a comment here. Talk to me about that specific experience, whether you think this is a justified collective bargaining unit or whether there are shared experiences across a company that make this potentially a bad idea. Please do leave me those notes. I'm very interested in them. Otherwise, if you enjoy this content, the discussion of business and law and unionization and labor rules and everything else, please consider supporting the channel at Utreon. Or if you're not familiar with that platform and would rather support the channel at Patreon, please do. Every little bit helps. We cannot do it without viewers and listeners like you. Otherwise, just subscribing, telling your friends, sharing this video around, and having discussions amongst yourselves 
upvoting, downvoting, leaving comments, all that good stuff. That helps as well. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.